0: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: We have a lot of really fantastic technology available to us with uh, GMO seed and and the chemicals that we're using now and the, the way and the processes that we fertilize our ground. We have a lot of technology available to us that's really great, and it's helped us be more efficient, and better for the environment, and better for the consumer, and better for the farmer.
2: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Farm Traveler podcast, the podcast for anybody curious to learn about where their food comes from. You know, YouTube is the world's second largest search engine behind Google, which I guess Google... Is technically since it you know it owns YouTube, it's both the number one and number two search engines. But anyway, probably the largest farmer on YouTube is Zach Johnson, aka the Minnesota Millennial Farmer, who is our guest today. He's gonna to talk to us about kind of well his background, his start on the farm, and how he's using YouTube and social media to do what we love here on the podcast, and that's bridge the gap between farmers and consumers. And he also has a lot of really cool thoughts on organic versus conventional. So, hope you enjoy this episode with Zach Johnson. Enjoy it, and thanks so much for listening, and now on with the show. Zach Johnson, farmer, YouTuber extraordinaire, how are you doing? I'm good, Trevor, how are you? I'm doing well, man. I am excited to have you on. So... Zach Johnson, you are from Minnesota, right? I am, from the west central part of the state, not too far from Alexandria. Hey, well, there you go. I can tell definitely from your accent that you are from Minnesota. I love the Minnesotan accent. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about your background, like what you're doing, how you farm, and all that good stuff.
1: Well, I'm a fifth generation family farmer. Uh, I farm with my dad here. My great, great grandpa came over from Sweden in the 1870s and homesteaded here. Uh, so we've been in the same place ever since then. Right now, full time on the farm. It's just dad and I. Uh, we had cattle and hogs when I was younger, but dad sold off the livestock when I was probably oh seven or eight years old. So I didn't get too involved with the chores on the livestock side of things. But uh, we've been mainly corn and soybeans since then. Uh, we did grow kidney beans at one point for a while, and and we have grown some seed and some seed
2: corn and some seed beans as well. Okay. Okay. Very neat. Now. You also, like we mentioned before, you're huge on YouTube and you just kind of showcase what you do, how you farm, all the equipment you use. What kind of got you into doing that and kind of showing people what you do on a daily basis?
1: Well, the whole reason I started it was because I had family members and close acquaintances who came from rural areas and should have understood a little bit about farming and and what we do out here. But I was seeing things on social media that just were not true. You know, maybe they'd have a little bit of truth to it or. Maybe they'd have a little bit of understanding to it, but they were adding so much misinformation to it that it was it was ridiculous. And it got under my skin enough to the point where I just decided uh, maybe the best way to do something here is to be proactive and get online and try to talk to people that aren't necessarily the exact people I'm talking about, but, but people like that all over the world who don't understand what it is we do for sure and, and are interested in seeing. And I think the best way we can... Advocate for that is is by being human, you know And and don't throw science and facts at people because you know, that's not very interesting That's like watching the old uh, The old uh, uh, TV and science class and watching the professors talk about stuff I mean, we need to show people at at this point who we are as people living out on the farm and who we are as families And
2: I think that's the best way to reach people No, that's a very good idea now. You mean to tell me that not everything on social media is positive positive? Yeah, I'm sorry to tell you, Trevor, but not everything is. <laughs> no, I totally agree. I mean, I've been following people in ag for a while. And I mean, just the, the negative comments that they get is insane. I mean, especially like with livestock farmers, just the, the negative and the rude comments they get. It's crazy how people on social media, I mean, you, you don't really have a face. It's just your profile picture and that's it. And you can really comment anything that you want to do. And people will take that to the extreme and definitely target people in the ag industry. That's for sure. Yeah, and I you know, I think
1: livestock farmers have it much worse than the grain farmers when it comes to that. It, it just seems like they are in the crosshairs of so many different people for what they do, and it's really too bad. I mean, if some of these people could actually get out on the livestock farms and really see what's going on out there and the way that the farmers care for their animals, I, I think they'd really change their
2: perspective. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Definitely change their perspective, that's for sure. So with Season 2, we are working on understanding a little bit better kind of the differences and similarities between organic agriculture and traditional agriculture. So what kind of production method do you guys practice on your farm? We are traditional. We did actually bring back
1: into our rotation some non-GMO or some conventional varieties last year. uh, And we've added to that lineup a little bit more this year, but uh, we we did not
2: farm them uh, organically. Okay, so so what does your traditional production look like? Like, I mean, what, is, what does the process look like where you're planting, you're um, fertilizing, and then you're harvesting and then clearing the land? What does that whole production system look like? Well,
1: we try to fertilize as much as we can in the fall just so that it's done, so that we're not taking more heavy machinery passes over the fields in the spring. So we try to do as much of the fertilizing in the fall after the crop is harvested as we can. And then uh, in the spring, we'll come through plant that. We are conventional tillage as well in, in my area. That's just um, what we seem to find the most success with is uh, the conventional tillage at this point anyway. And then uh, we'll, we'll plant that and right away on soybeans uh, we will do a pre-emerge pass of, of a herbicide, or residual herbicide to keep the weed pressure down. And then that buys us plenty of time to get through and, and put an early uh, post-emerge Uh, Spray down on our corn to get that sprayed and then by the time we get to the soybeans usually there's a little flush of weeds coming there So we'll spray them again Um, We will make a second pass on each of those and then with the soybeans Sometimes if uh, if we get soybean aphids or they're bad enough that we need to handle it We will come by and and spray the soybeans a third time Um, And then uh, aside from that really, you know, it's pretty standard typical corn and soybean farming Um, we try to do pretty close to a 50-50 rotation on our farm. So we are corn and soybeans every other year on,
2: on most of our land. So do you grow them both at the same time, or do you grow soybeans and then corn? We, we grow both uh, each year. So we're about roughly
1: 50-50 percentage-wise every year.
2: Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Now, for consumers, they might think soybeans and like, oh, that's probably just for soy sauce. What are some other reasons that you would grow soybeans and some other items that soybeans can be converted into? You know, soybeans are, are really big for animal feed, just like corn. Um, they're, they're
1: high protein, higher oil for animal feed. Uh, and now there's a lot of new uses for soybeans coming out. One of the things is uh, uh, like the plenish oil or the high oleic oil soybeans coming out. You can run that in a, in a deep fryer and it, it's a healthier fat that you get um, in your deep fried foods. And so that has kind of taken off. Um, soy diesel's gotten big. You know, there's a lot of stuff around soy diesel as, as far as negativity as well, and I think a lot of that came from when it first came onto market and some of the stuff they were blending that with. Um, at this point, we run soy diesel and everything, and and don't have any issues. That it's a it's a pretty high quality um, diesel at this point. So so that's another big use for soybeans, and then a, a lot of soybeans actually get exported. Um, China buys a huge percentage of our soybeans. Uh, they they love to feed hogs over there. They love their pork in China, and so. They use a lot of our soybeans to feed their pork overseas.
2: Okay, that's very neat. So it sounds like the soybean farmers in China have like a really good relationship going on. I mean, got to feed their pork. And that is very true. It is a very popular item over there.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I'd say that it's a a really good relationship, but it is a
2: relationship (laughs) and they've got to feed their pork. That's true, yeah. Um, Well, that's neat. So what are some common misconceptions that you think consumers have with traditional agriculture? I mean, do you think... You guys are just out there spraying um, pesticides and fertilizers twenty four seven. What are some common themes there?
1: Well, I mean, number one, you know, I like to I like to bring home the point that sp- spraying chemicals uh, and applying fertilizer is really expensive. I mean, there is no reason for us to ever want to apply more of either of those than what we have to. And uh, I don't enjoy spending money on chemicals. I don't don't enjoy the application process of it. Uh, but it's one of those things, you know, I guess the way I see it between traditional um, or conventional, I guess, I'm, however you want to say the type of farming that we're doing here compared to organic farming. And I'm not against organic farming at all. Um, but one one of the ways to look at it, I guess from my point of view, is that farmers are in a difficult spot between the two processes. Because if you want us to grow organically, and that's fine, and we can do that, and a lot of farmers are doing that. But it, understand, I think the consumers need to understand that asking us to grow a lot of the food organically is asking us to step back in time and not use the latest technologies. And we have a lot of really fantastic technology available to us with uh, GMO seed, and, and the chemicals that we're using now, and the, the way and the processes that we fertilize our ground we have a lot of technology available to us that's really great and it's helped us be more efficient and better for the environment and better for the consumer and better for the farmer. But if they want to ask us to grow organically, that's okay, but I think they need to understand exactly what they're they're asking us to do, you know, and and then we can do that and that's fine and, and that's another form of, of, uh, of agriculture and I think that's okay as well, but there are some differences there and I think a lot of people don't really understand
2: the full differences between the two. Now, do you think when, when consumers really want organic produce, do you think that they're kind of more focused on the health side of that produce, or do you think they're more focused on the environmental impact of those organic products?
1: You know, I I wouldn't want to speak for the consumers, but I I would say that it's, it's probably a bit of both, Um, you know, but there again, I think what we're doing on our farm by using the latest and greatest technology and understanding exactly what it is we're doing, you know, we're not just dumping chemicals out there and saying, well, this is the way it's done and this is how we do it. I mean, we know what that chemistry is doing. We use a specific blend because that's what, what works and that's the best thing for the, for the environment, you know, like Roundup or glyphosate. There's a lot of stuff out there in the news, but the fact is if you take that away from us, we go back to using more harsh chemicals. Um, Also, organic farming has a long list of chemistries that they can use. Um, The BT technology, which is one of the processes, or, or not processes, but one of the traits in our corn that makes it a GMO corn, BT is an organic protein. And organic farmers are allowed to spray heavy amounts of BT onto their corn to do the exact same thing that we can do with a much smaller amount through the seed, which poses no risk to the consumer at all. And so it's difficult to really say one is better than the other and it's difficult to educate everybody on it. And I don't expect the consumers to understand what it is we're doing on our farms 100% of the time in the same way that I don't understand what they're doing at their jobs. Um, so it's it is a it is between a rock and a hard spot, I think, when it comes to the different processes between the different ways of farming.
2: Gotcha. Yeah. That's a very good point. Totally agree. So going back to your operation, what are some of the biggest successes that you've experienced and like the biggest learning experience you've had when you've been working on your fifth generation family farm?
1: You know, I guess I would say growing up, one of the things that I never really saw or took notice of as much as I did when, once I actually got involved was the business side of farming. You know. you see the visual elements of it. You see the trucks and the tractors and you see the guys working in the field and working in the shop and filling up the grain bins and you see that kind of stuff. And that's the, the visually appealing part of farming, right? That's the part that most people see, especially when the the people talk about how grain farmers work one month in the spring and one month in the fall. That's because that's what you see. What you don't see is all the management time in the office and the marketing and, and the insurance and everything that, that, goes behind that farm to make that thing flow and be this moving system. You know, just because we've got that month or six weeks in the spring and in the fall again uh, of seeing those big visuals, that doesn't mean we're not always working behind the scenes to try to make sure that we're being as efficient as we can and as smart as we can with running the family business and the family operation to keep that moving and keep it in business
2: what kind of like time ratio would you say that you're either out in the field or you're working behind the scenes on the business side of things or you're outside buying seeds? What's, what's kind of the time breakdown there?
1: You know, I, I would say I spend as much time in the office, um, working on the phone and on the computer and, and on the paperwork as I do working on everything else outside. Um, I would say for me, it, I've never paid super close attention to it. I just kind of make sure that I keep up on everything and, and, do what I feel needs to be done. But uh, I would say it's probably close to 50-50.
2: That makes sense. That's not bad. Um, So I know you've got a lot of machinery on your farm and machinery is not cheap. I had no idea how expensive farming equipment was. I mean, how expensive does that stuff get? I I know a combine can be like upwards of $300,000. So I mean, it gets really expensive, doesn't it? yeah uh you
1: can buy a new combine for six hundred thousand if you really want to want to get out there with it but um yes machinery is expensive it is a necessary evil um you know if you take care of your machinery it'll it'll take better care of you we don't buy we i shouldn't say we don't buy anything new we buy hardly anything new on our farm most of our stuff we're, we're usually second owner in the equipment um and then we just do our best to try and take care of it from there. But yeah, machinery is a necessary evil, you know. And every time we get something new on the farm, I get comments on the channel about uh, buying new equipment, you know, and and uh, how do you, how do you make that work? And I think one thing that people need to keep in mind is, you know, I don't buy tractors and and field cultivators and rock pickers uh, to impress girls. This is a it's a it's a business expense, right? It's no different than uh, a company spending. $100,000 on new copy machines or computers or, um, you know, buying trucks or, or cars for whatever your business might be, it's a necessary evil. Um, machinery, machinery's fun, machinery's cool, but in the end, it's difficult to write those checks and, and to have that expensive maintenance in the shop all the time. But it is what it is. It's a part of business and it's a business expense that you have to cash flow in there and,
2: and just maintain. So speaking of maintenance, I know that there's this huge thing going on to where certain companies, they're not allowing like independent um, contractors like fix certain machineries like tractors. And I know that there's a big thing going on to like, I think the right to repair is the correct term, I think. And instead of like having a guy you know, fix the tractor, you're having to pay the dealer thousands and thousands of dollars to fix the machinery. So what, have you experienced that at all?
1: You know, I think that whole right to repair thing it's there. It's definitely an issue we need to talk about, but in my eyes, it's gotten way blown out of proportion. I think a lot of people that comment on it and and, and say things about it don't entirely understand what is really going on. Uh, on I know on my farm anyway, man, if we've got a, a hundred or $200,000 tractor that's got some, some pretty technical software in it, I'm not going to rip into that and repair that the same as I wouldn't rip into a new pickup truck and try to repair anything behind the dash, right? Those those electronics are they're touchy, and most farmers don't want to touch stuff like that on a new machine. Um, you know, Of course, you can repair your own tractor. I mean, John Deere has never said you can't repair your own equipment. Um, what they don't want us doing is changing the software inside that equipment and then getting into emissions or safety issues. Um, I guess that's, that's the way I look at it from their end of things. If we're getting in there and changing the software – um, and then something goes wrong, why should they have to stand behind the warranty on that if we messed up that machine? And so I think it opens up a lot of really great doors that, that ha- we still need to figure out exactly where everybody stands on that. Um, but as a farmer, when I look at it also, I say, okay, I, I've got a tractor here that let's say is, is 300 or 350 horsepower, and it is literally the exact same tractor as the 400 horsepower tractor. Um, the only difference is the software programming, and and I think that gig is up, and it's out there, and we know that, and so why are we, in some instances, some guys paying, you know, $50,000 more for the exact same tractor that has literally just been programmed a bit differently when it comes to the software. Um, I think that is is an issue where that information's out there. We know that now. We understand that, and and maybe there's more to it, also than than I'm really understanding, but I would love to get into a, a much deeper discussion with with people who are really in with that to see what it is they have to say because as a farmer, I look at that and and I wonder what's really going on there you know are 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 some of these companies making excuses and and making up reasons for why I shouldn't be able to touch certain things on my tractor if i if I did want to uh, so I think There's so much left there to explore and and figure out that we really don't fully understand it. But on our farm, it has never been an issue. We've never had a problem with it. We've never not been able to repair the things that we want to repair.
2: Okay, that's a very good point. I haven't asked anybody about this yet. You're the first person I brought it up with. And so I was curious as to if if everybody's experienced it or what. But your truck analogy was pretty good. I mean, if you buy a new truck, you don't want to dive in there and try to fix anything about the software because you could probably mess something up.
1: Yeah, if I've got a if I've got a $150,000 tracker, it's not new, but it's pretty new and it's expensive and I need it on my farm. I don't want to rip into the electronics on that. I'm going to take that to the dealer, you know, number one because they know what they're doing, they have the necessary equipment, and number two because if they mess something up, it's probably going to be covered by their warranty as opposed to me messing it up and and being stuck with it, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, I didn't know. Totally agree. So going back to your production and your career, you know, being on YouTube and showcasing who, how you do what you do and how farmers produce food, who has really helped you get there? Who has helped you kind of helped you with your farming career, with your online presence? Who has helped you kind of spread the message?
1: Well, with, with the farming career, I mean, there's no doubt that, it, you know, it would be dad. I mean, we're the, the only two full-time people on the farm right now, um farming is what dad has always done and what he's always loved to do Uh, and you know without him obviously i I wouldn't be here it's like a lot of other family farms um some people look at the next generation of farmers and say well you know they inherited everything everything was given to them and and so far in my farm what i've inherited is opportunity and i'm very appreciative of that but um you know nothing really gets handed to to most family farmers that just isn't the way it works the truth is most of us are. Struggling to figure out exactly how we pass this from one generation to the next and and our farms no different we're also trying to figure out the same thing, but um, Back to answer the question. I mean on the farm side, it would be dad Um, Grandpa had a big impact on me as well. We lost uh, lost uh, the the paternal grandpa here two three years ago, but he was a farmer his whole life and and he made a big uh, impact on me and who I am today and um, he was a fantastic person when it comes to the um, the online brand and the YouTube stuff. uh, There's no question that that was my wife to help push me through it. It it was my hobby when I started the whole thing. But from there, what it's become now, you know, that whole transformation, I guess, from the hobby on my cell phone to turn it into what it is now was, was really pushed along by my wife, who when she brought up the idea of you know, maybe trying to get to where we are today. I thought she was crazy and I didn't really understand it. And I thought that was the most millennial thing I had ever heard. And um, I kind of dismissed it at first. And, and now it's just like my eyes are open to this whole different thing of, of what is going on online. And, and it's kind of funny to see the people that get it and the people that don't and, and how big the swings are with the understanding there of what we're doing and, and what some people see and what some people don't. And I'm learning every day. Who gets it and who doesn't. And it's just been crazy. But uh, definitely when it comes to the online side of things, you know, she's a huge key. She does so much stuff behind the scenes that that I wouldn't be able to do nearly as much as I do without her working behind the scenes because it takes so much time uh, that people don't see. It's like farming, you know, you don't see the business aspect and the behind the scenes and all the office work that goes into it.
2: Yeah, no, I bet it's been super crazy. And I mean, you're one of the larger farming YouTube channels out there. I mean, you're getting close to 500,000 subscribers. I mean, you're getting, you're getting out there, which is so neat. It's been crazy, yeah, to just think of, you know, where it was when I started
1: by making two, three-minute videos with my cell phone um, and no editing and, and not spending any time in the office on it to where it is today has is, um, been really nuts. I've been really fortunate, had a lot of really cool opportunities to meet a lot of great people and talk to a lot of great people through this whole thing.
2: I bet. So for people that want to create like some sort of online presence focused on agriculture or focused on farming, I know it's not a super popular topic, but it's something that everybody should kind of focus on. What, what advice do you have about that, about building some sort of online presence focused on agriculture and focused on bridging that gap between farmers and consumers? You know, a a
1: couple of things in my message are number one, you don't have to make it complicated. Uh, As I mentioned, I started with my cell phone. All you need is a smartphone and a YouTube account, which is free. You can start that account within a few minutes. Um, You can hit upload and record your video and hit post and it's there. Um, It it really does not have to be complicated. You don't need an expensive camera or expensive editing software to make it happen. And then the other thing is is to be you. And as cliche as that sounds, I think it's really key to make sure that you are you and you show yourself being human you know, and, and don't try to constantly throw facts at people about what's going on in the, on the farm scientifically or or technically, just be yourself, be a person. And and when those subjects or those topics come up, then you can talk about why you use this technology that's out there and, and what your thoughts are on.
2: I like that. That's really good advice. I might have to follow some of that. I especially like your, you don't, don't throw the facts out there constantly, like just kind of show them you showcase what goes on. And that's pretty much it. I really like that's a very good point.
1: Yeah, it, it's fun as farmers in the industry to, to try to throw facts out there and say, well, this is what science says, or this is how much more efficient we've gotten, or this is how many more people we feed per farmer than what it was 50 years ago, or this is how good our yields have gotten. You know, that's fun to throw out there for us, but that's not what people are drawn to. That's not what gets people to tune in all the time. You know, people want to watch real people being people and they want to see the triumphs and the, and the tribulations and the struggles and the successes that come with, with who you are as a person and who you are as a family and who you are as a farmer.
2: All good points. All good points. Well, Zach, this has been awesome kind of seeing what you're doing and talking about your YouTube channel and how you farm and grow corn, corn and soybeans. So if people want to follow you, if they want to see what you're up to, where can they go? The best place to go would be to uh, YouTube. That's where all
1: my videos are at. Um, you can also follow me on more of a daily basis on Instagram at MN Millennial Farmer. I'm also on Facebook. I am on Twitter, but I'm not nearly as active there. So YouTube, Instagram, Facebook would be the best places to find me.
2: There you go. Well, I am going to follow you on Instagram. I don't think I do that, but I definitely follow you on YouTube. Well, Zach, this has been so cool, man. I wish you the best of luck in your career. Hope your channel continues to grow and you continue to get the message out there. We wish you the best of luck, man. Hey, same to you, Trevor. I appreciate you having me on. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it.